Welcome to Gateway Church. We are so glad you could join us this week. Now let's listen in as our pastor is ready to present the sermon. It's great to have you here at Gateway with us. Glad you joined us again this morning as we continue to make our way through this teaching series we've been in called Vertigo. And in this series, what we're doing is we're, we're tackling some cultural mindsets. We're, we're looking at the lens that culture would have us look through on life and how we're supposed to do life. And we're we're kind of looking through a different lens. Culture would say, sacrifice everything you have to sacrifice to get to the top of your game. Do everything you have to do to be the best, to have the most, to whatever. And most people who have done that have discovered that once they got to the top, it maybe wasn't all it was cracked up to be, or that the sacrifices they made weren't really worth it, or they made it to whatever it was they were pushing for. They did it the way our culture said to do it, fight hard, be number one, take no prisoners. And when they got there, they realized that what they did to get there, it just was contrary to what they knew they were, were supposed to be. It was kind of this empty feeling as a result of it. And yet that's the way our culture tells us to live. So what we're doing in this series is we're looking at a different set of lenses. Jesus gives us a different set of lenses to approach life, to look at life, and it is upside down and backwards from the way most of culture would have us do our lives. And one of the things I hope you'll discover, because I believe it is true beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I hope you'll discover that as we look at life through this different set of lenses, this upside down and backward way of doing life, and as you begin to live life this upside down and backward way, you will discover that life gets better and you get better at life. Life gets better and you get better at life. Now, life doesn't necessarily get easier. In fact, when we, when we approach life through the lenses that Jesus gives us, the truth is often life gets harder. Okay, So I'm not saying this is a, a way to an easy, um, problem-free, super smooth life. Anybody who would tell you that following Jesus makes all your troubles go away, it's like voting for Pedro, all your wildest dreams come true, nope, it doesn't work that way. Um, when, you, when you truly approach life the way Jesus calls us to a, approach life, you will discover it's hugely challenging, but life still gets better, and we get better at life. And the set of lenses that we're looking at, the set of lenses that Jesus gives us, is found in a little bitty passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew called the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are kind of the introduction to this bigger passage called the Sermon on the Mount. And that word beatitude is one we don't use very often, but if, if you're wondering what it means, that it's simply a fancy Latin word that means blessed. And the word blessed in our culture typically means I'm, I'm, you know, I've got stuff. Uh, you know, my, my family's healthy. I've got a job, whatever. That's a, that's a blessing. And that's true. Those things are blessed. But the word that Jesus used here, and without going through all the linguistic gymnastics, Jesus uh, spoke Aramaic. This was written down in Greek, but he was Jewish, and he would have come from a Jewish perspective. The word that we use or that is translated as blessed here simply means happy plus. Happy, filled with joy, satisfied because you're on the right path. So when you're on the right path, there's a sense of satisfaction. When you're on the right path, there's a sense of joy. When you're on the right path, and you know you're on the right path, there's a sense of, of fulfillment. And that's what this word means. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the, or happy, joyful, filled with peace because they're on the right path. And this, this set of blessings, this beatitude, is simply what it is. Jesus gives eight blessings. Blessed are the X because Y. Blessed are the X because Y. He does it eight times. So there are eight things that we're going to look at, eight different lenses that result in us being blessed, that result in us being happy, joy-filled, because we're on the right path. Week one, we said, 
Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God, or theirs is the kingdom of God. And immediately we're like, what does that mean? And, and we broke it down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is simply saying happy on the right road are those who are humble, who have an honest appraisal of themselves, who realize I can't do it all. Because when we do that, God is drawn to us. We said, God finds your humility irresistible, and other people do too. It's huge in your relationships. Uh, it's huge in, in, in everyday life if you can have humility. Last week, we talked about blessed are those who mourn. And we talked about a very specific type of mourning or mourning over a very specific circumstance. Jesus says, blessed are those whose hearts are broken over their own sinfulness. Over not so much, I mean, we should be broken over what's happening in the world. But in this case, Jesus says, blessed are those who recognize they're a part of the problem with what's happening in the world. He says, they'll be comforted. They will experience the wholeness that we all want because God will draw near. And this morning, we're just going to keep on making our way through these. Um, So we're going to be in the third beatitude. So grab a Bible. You're going to need it. Grab your Bibles. Open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We have house Bibles. Just grab one from underneath the seat in front of you and open that up to page 659. Page 659 is where you're going to find Matthew chapter 5. Um, all of the text is on the screen. It's in your note-taking guide. Really easy to track along. And if you're a techie, like I said earlier, you can use the app and you can actually go to today's notes and follow along right there in the app. Now, while you're finding Matthew chapter 5, let me ask a question. Given your pre- well, let me, let me back up. Let me just ask it cold first. How many of you like to be in charge? Okay, interact. Okay, a right, oh, good number of you raised. All right, like to be in charge. Some of you didn't raise your hand, so that's okay. We'll get there in a minute. How many of you, given your preference, if you had the choice, there were at least certain areas in your life where you would like to be in control, right? Okay. How many of you? If you're honest, would describe yourselves as a control freak. Any control freaks in the room? Okay, some of you. How many of you are married to one, but they won't let you put your hand up right now? Okay, fair enough. Let's see how that works. All right. So, I mean, how many of you have discovered this? Because I discovered this a long time ago. There's a difference between being in charge and being in control, right? You can be in charge and absolutely not be in control. Anybody who's worked in a nursery knows how that works, right? Anybody who's taught elementary school knows there's a difference between being in charge and being in control, right? But in our lives, we want to be in control. We want control. Most of us want some level of control over at least some areas of our lives. And when we can't be in control, it creates frustration. It creates irritation. It it creates maybe some unnecessary conflict with other people, right? Because we want to be in control. And when we're not in control, we're not happy, my oldest daughter, Caitlin, she's 18 years old, away at college now, but, but when she was, I don't know, four years old maybe, maybe five-ish, uh, we always prayed with the kids before they went to bed at night, and, and one evening she was, she was upset. She wasn't a happy girl, um, and, which was not unusual for her at that time. She's really chill now, but, but when she was age four, she was like 18, um, and she was, she was pretty worked up. She was unhappy one night. She was clearly angry, so Marita asked, what's wrong? I'm mad. What are you mad about? I'm mad at God. Okay, so for a four-year-old to be able to tell you you're mad at God, that's pretty huge. So Marita goes, well, why are you mad at God? And my very strong-willed four-year-old went, he's in charge of the world and I'm not. <laughs> wow, right? I mean, and we, we laugh, we can shake that off. It's a four-year-old, yeah. Here's the problem. We're all that way when we're four, and some of us never outgrow it, right? Control of the world. 
And when somebody besides me is in control of the world, I get that frustration. I get that unnecessary friction between me and other people. And at the end of the day, our desire to be in control, for some of us that need to be in control, is really a desire for security. What we want is security. We want the world to be stable. We want the ground under our feet to stop moving. And I figure if I can control it, then, I, you know, then it's stable, right? You always feel more secure when you're in control of the situation, don't you? You always feel more, more assured and, and secure and safe when you get to call the shots, right? And our culture tells us that. Our culture tells us that if you would just take charge of your life, if you would just be in control, if you would just, just get a hold of everything and be in control of everything, you'll have the security you really want. And for a lot of us, what happens is we don't feel in control. Maybe there are areas of life where we just can't be in control. And so what we do is we try to control other things. We try to control circumstances, or more often, we try to control people. We try to control the people we're married to. We try to control the people we're raising. We try to control the people who are raising us. We try to control the people we work with. We want control. If, you know, the world's all crazy out here. I mean, watch social media for five minutes and you'll know how crazy the world is. Everybody's divided. The wrong people are winning this and the wrong people are winning that. And, and, and we have all kinds of anger and angst and frustration about the direction the world's going. So I'm going to control at least something. So I'll control my kids. I'll control my wife. I'll control my boss. I'll control my employees. We, we seek to have control so we can have security. And 99 out of 100 times, that ends in a train wreck. Because when I try to control you and you're trying to control me, somebody's got to give or the relationship blows up, right? Jesus gives us the remedy, a different lens to look through to handle this. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, the, the third of the Beatitudes, if you will. It's on the screen. Here's what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What in the world does that have to do with, with me getting control, with me having peace, with, with, with me not being? What, what, what is he even saying there? So we're going to unpack it. Remember, blessed simply means um, happy, joyful, uh, satisfied because you're on the right road. So Jesus says, happy, joyful, satisfied, on the right road are those who are meek. What does meek mean? And, and again, this is one of those things where translations don't help us. Um, as well as they should. This is where differences in culture and language come into play, because the word that Jesus uses for meek is not going to bring to mind any of the things that we have come to mind when we hear the word meek. The English word meek, um, if you were to get out a thesaurus and look up synonyms for the word meek, here's the words you're going to get. Compliant, docile, mild, passive, spineless, spiritless, timid, weak, and my favorite, wishy-washy. Now, how many of you aspire to be wishy-washy? No. How many of you aspire to be weak? No, we don't want to be weak. We don't want to be wishy-washy. We certainly don't want to be spineless, right? But if you were to look at what, what that word meek means in English, you get this view that it, it, it's, well, it's not very strong. But the word Jesus uses doesn't mean all those things. That's not what would have come to mind when Jesus was talking. In fact, the word that Jesus uses is related to taming animals, and it's this idea of power, but the power is a controlled power. Now, we, we like power. Power is a good thing. Everybody likes power, but we also know that power out of control can be a really dangerous thing, right? Fire has power, right? 
And fire out of control can burn this building down in no time. Fire out of control can burn millions of acres and cost countless lives and do billions of dollars in damage, right? Fire out of control is a problem. Fire under control will cook my dinner. Fire under control will, will, will drive my car. Fire under control will, will refine the petroleum that makes my car go, unless I drive a Tesla, which I don't. Um, you know, fire under control is really useful. Fire out of control will burn the world down. And the word Jesus is using here isn't a word that means no, no power. It means power under control. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Meekness is understanding your power and submitting it to the authority of God. Meekness is taking your power and then submitting it to the authority of somebody else, which is counterintuitive to all of us. Because the last thing we want to do is submit our power to anyone else. Meekness is when I understand that I have power. Meekness is when I understand that, I, that I've got some power to control things. But instead of me powering up, instead of me leveraging my power, I submit that power to somebody else. And that isn't natural. It's not one of our instincts. It goes against everything that we want to do, Right? Maybe, maybe to put it in a briefer format, you can write this down. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is just power under control. It's not weak. It's not timid. It's not spineless. It's not having no power. It's having power, but trusting someone else to control that power. Uh, you, you could write this down, too. It, it's, honestly, it's a matter of faith. Meekness is a matter of faith. When I am meek, I, I have power. I can leverage up that power in my relationships. I can use that power to control you. I can use that power to, to get what I want. But when I'm meek, I don't do that. When I'm meek, I trust God to take the power I have and do something with it. And that is so not natural for us. We want to be in control. We want to get it done. We want to take care of it. We want to rush forward with it. But meekness says, I've got power. Right? In every relationship you have, you have some degree of power. In every relationship you have, you have things you can do, ways you can power up, ways you can leverage whatever it is to control the people around you. We can all do it. You can do it overtly by being a bully. You can do it less overtly, you know, that passive-aggressive behavior. But we have ways to manipulate and control the people around us. But, but real meekness is trusting God enough to say, all right, God, you handle the situation. And Jesus is, is speaking to a group of people here who would recognize immediately what he's saying. Because what Jesus is doing is he's quoting from the book of Psalms. He's actually quoting Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, we read these words. It's on the screen. Psalm 37, Jesus says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I love this next set of words. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. I love the words that the psalmist is using. He uses do not fret. He says do not fret twice. Now you know what that means, right? Stop worrying about it. Stop trying to control things you can't control. He says be patient. How many of you are naturally patient people? Like two hands went up. Most of you, yeah, I know Mark is. Um, most of us are not naturally patient people. That's not the way most of us are wired. 
God says, when you see everything burning down around you, when it looks like the world around you is out of control, don't power up and try to control everything. Be patient. Don't fret. Wait on the Lord. Refrain from anger. In other words, take the power you have, take the ability you have, take the strength you have, and trust God to manage it. I don't know about you, but here's what I've discovered in my life. When things are out of control and I want to fix them, and I try to power up and fix them instead of letting God do it, I almost always make the situation worse. Anybody ever been there? When I try to do God's job for him, I make a mess, right? I'm not a very good God, okay? And neither are you. But when we have this power, we feel like we need to use this power. When we feel like we have to be in control, what happens is we try to control everything. And it, it just is so frustrating. It is so painful. It is so disappointing. So here's the good news. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. When I recognize that God is in control, I don't have to be. When I recognize that God is in control, I don't have to be. When I recognize that God has power I don't have, when I recognize that God can take my power and do something with it, I don't have to be in control. And that is incredibly freeing to most of us. Now, we don't think it will be, right, because we want to control it. But it's amazing how much freer we are when we don't have to be in control. Um, a lot of you know um, our church has sent two teams to Africa in the past to, to do missions work. And in between those two teams, I had to go one time to do some research for the, our second trip. We were going to build wells uh, in a village. And so I went uh, with a group of people that I had never met before. Um, and if you don't know me, let me tell you this. Most of you know me, so this is no surprise. I like to be in control. I, 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 can, I tend to be a bit controlling. Um, maybe I'm a control freak. Maybe I'm not a very good passenger in the car. Um, maybe, I, maybe, I, uh, maybe I tell everybody how they should be driving in the car with me. I didn't even count the people in the other cars. I'm just talking about in my car. Um, and by virtue of my position, I'm also in charge a lot, just because I'm the guy in charge. And so... I like to control things. I want to know, what's, you know, I want to know what the next eight steps are going to be. I want to know where we're going. I want to know how it's going to happen. How's that going to play out? I want to know. I want to know. And on this particular trip, I wasn't in charge. Not only was I not in charge, but when you go to another country, you're usually not in control, in case you didn't know that. If you've ever done international travel, you discover pretty quick you're not in control of a lot of things. And so on this trip, we met up with the team in Atlanta. We flew to Johannesburg, and then we went up to Zambia. And I made a choice. I consciously made a choice on that trip. I'm not in charge of this trip, and I can't control anything. I'm going to trust Carl. Carl was the guy that was in charge of the trip. Great man. Uh, I think I would follow him anywhere. Um, his name's Carl Eastlack. He's one of our district superintendents for our denomination. Great guy. He was in charge of the trip. Now, I didn't know him yet, but I decided going in, I, I'm going to trust him. And that, that little less than a week in Africa was one of the most relaxing times in my life. Things didn't always go according to plan. You know, the, the, the transportation was always where it was supposed to be. The food was interesting. Um, you know, the, you can't control the weather. You can't control the transportation. You can't control what the villagers are going to feed you. You can't control if the hotel is or isn't ready. You can't control, you can't control any of that. And when I try to control it, I'm stressed out. But going in, I'm, like, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not in charge of this trip. I can't control anything. And I will tell you, I was more relaxed on that trip than I've been on any vacation I've ever been on. 
I was more relaxed on that trip than I think any time I'd ever been as an adult because I didn't have, I was just neck down labor, man. I didn't have to do anything except what I was told. It was incredibly freeing to not have to be in control of everything. But I will also tell you this, as we made our way back to the United States, as we were flying back across the Atlantic Ocean, I could feel the stress level ratcheting up. I could feel myself getting more tense. I could feel, and I know, I'm like, what is going on? And I get to think of it, oh, I'm thinking about all the things I've got to be in charge of. I got all the things I got to control, all the stuff I got to do when I get back. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, happy, at peace, joy-filled, because they're on the right road. When they take their power and realize they don't have to be in control of anything, they can trust God with it. And there's a sense of of peace, there's a sense of of security in that. Jesus says, blessed are the peace, for they will inherit the earth. Now, this would have been a really big deal to his audience. Jesus isn't saying that when you turn control over to God, you're going to get, you know, five acres in your own farm. That's not, that's not what's going on here. This idea of inheriting the land is this idea of security. The people Jesus is talking to, they're Jewish people. These are people who from the beginning, before there was a Jewish people, when there was just a guy named Abraham, these are people who were promised land, right? Following God was always this, this promise of an inheritance of land. And you know what Abraham never actually had? The land. His great-grandchildren spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. They didn't have any land there. They come out of Egypt. They wander around the desert for 40 years. No, no land. No place they can call their own. They're nomads. When they finally do get to the promised land, they very slowly make their way in. They have to fight for every foot of ground they get. And for 400 years, they don't get it right. Eventually, under a guy named David, do they finally have some sense of peace, some sense of stability as a nation, even though they didn't even have everything they were supposed to have. But it only lasted a little while, because David's son blows it, his grandsons blow it big time, the Assyrians come in and drag half of them away, several years later the Persians come in and drag the rest of them away. Eventually Persia lets them move back to the land, but they're under Persian control. Once the Persians fall apart, another empire out of Egypt called the Seleucids take control, after them the, the Greeks take control, and then Rome takes over. This is a group of people who have been hoping for a promised inheritance for 1,500 years and don't have it. And, and Jesus looks at them and says, when you learn to be meek, when you will trust God, you inherit the land. He's not saying suddenly you're going to have a nation. What he's saying is the security you want, the, the peace you're looking for, the protection you've always desired, when you trust God, it will be yours. Whether you actually have five acres in a barn or not, when you trust God, when you're willing to take your, your sense of control and surrender it to God, there's a sense of peace that comes with that. I don't have to win every argument. I don't have to control the policies at work. Right? I'm not saying you just don't do anything. I'm not saying you just let your family run wild. That's not what I'm saying. But, but when we feel so out of control in our world, if we're willing to take our desire to be in control, and we'll surrender it to God and let Him be in control. If we will trust Him, there's a sense of peace that comes over us. Because if I think I'm in control, guess what I try to do? Try to control everything, right? 
And when I recognize I don't have to control anything except my tongue and my attitude most of the time, which, I mean, that's a full-time job for me. Um, if I don't have to control everything, if I can trust God to control it, this sense of peace that floods us is overwhelming. Blessed, happy, moving down the right road, fulfilled, a sense of joy are those who are meek, who don't have, not people who have no power, but people who have the, the power they have and they trust it to God. So you be in control. I'll follow your lead. You call the shots. Even if it doesn't go the way I think it should go. Even, even if, if you're not doing things that make sense to me, God. Even if it doesn't play out the way I think it should play out. I'm going to trust you. And when I do that, there is a sense of peace that we just, I can't even begin to explain. The Apostle Paul calls it a peace that passes all understanding. When I trust him enough to surrender control. So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway on this one this morning, Pastor Steve? And, and the takeaway is relatively simple, incredibly difficult. Here, here's the simple part. I would challenge you this week. Do a self-inventory. Ask yourself these questions. Am I always angry? Am I always stressed? Am I always frustrated that I'm not in charge? Am I always trying to control things? Am I always trying to control the people around me? And if you can answer yes to any of that, then here's the challenge I would issue you. Invite God, and this is hard, invite God to break your control. Oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Invite God to break your state of control. God, I won't try to control everybody's lives. I won't try to control everything around me. God, I'll trust you. It's not natural. You're not going to do it immediately. It's practice. It's going to take time. But, but ask yourself those questions, and if you find out that I, I am, I'm trying to control everything. If you will ask him to help you break that habit, and that's what it is, you'll begin to find peace incrementally grows in your life. You'll begin to find a sense of security you didn't even know you could have. It is amazing how secure you can be when you don't have to be in control of everything. So this week, that's the challenge. Ask God to show you if you're a control freak, and if he is, or if you are, invite him to break that state of control in your heart. Now, remember, when you ask God to break stuff, he does. And breaking stuff always hurts. But you will never, never regret it. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close the prayer. And after I pray, Pastor Mark and the band are going to start playing. And we're going to take communion. And we have two communion tables at the front. We have one at the back. You do not have to be a member here at Gateway to receive communion. We just ask that you be walking in a right relationship with Jesus. If you choose to take communion this morning, I would encourage you to think about this. In the garden, as Jesus prayed, knowing the cross was coming, knowing that his body was going to be broken, his blood was going to be spilled, knowing that it was this horrible death coming his way. He begged the Father, take this away from me. I don't want this. Take this away from me. But then he concluded with this, not my will, yours be done. He set the example for meekness. He set the example by, I mean, he had power. He tells the disciples, don't you think I could call 10,000 angels to, to take care of this? 
Not my will, yours be done. And if you choose to take communion this morning, remember, we're celebrating an act that was the result of our Savior choosing to be meek and surrender his control to the Father. I'm going to pray. And then Pastor Mark and the man are going to lead us in worship. And you're free to take communion. Father, we love you. And we are overwhelmed by your grace. We are overwhelmed by the fact that that in spite of us, you, you help us. And Lord, I know that sometimes we fight you so hard. We try to be in control. We try to do it ourselves. We, we try to make sure that, that, that we can pull the strings. And in the process, we find ourselves stressed out. We find that it, it blows back on the people around us. And there's just a lot of unnecessary frustration and pain and grief because we want to be in control. And my prayer this morning, Jesus, is that you would send your spirit to break that state of control that we have, that you would help us to surrender our wills to your will, that you would help us to recognize, even though we may have strength, even though we may have power, it's really of no value until we let you control it. So give us this morning an honest view of ourselves and then help us to surrender control of our lives to you so that in you we might know strength and we might have a peace that we would never have otherwise. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening this week, and please join us again for next week's sermon. And in the meantime, please feel free to check out our website at mygatewaychurch.tv, where you can find our email addresses and links to our social media pages. In addition, you can also download our mobile app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Just search for Gateway Church Mo. Thanks again, and God bless us.